What's up, gang? This is the Sam Berger Show with Kyle Wakefield. Hey everybody, welcome to the Sam Berger Show. My uh, name is Sam Berger, uh, and we haven't been here in a long time. I'm joined, by, as always, by my friend, my co-host, and my producer, Kyle the Kid Wakefield. Uh, Kyle, how are you tonight, my friend? I'm great. I'm excited. Very, very special guest, so let's dive right into it. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time since we've been on, and uh, there's no better way to join than to be joined by uh, a genius, a legend, the man, the myth... Anything else you want to say about this guy, uh, Pete Fairley. Pete, one of the Fairley brothers, thanks for joining us, my friend. Hi, my pleasure. I've been trying to do this for a long time. Every time I see your mother, she's like, are you on Sam's show? I said, no, I, I'm going to. As soon as I don't go on shows unless I have something to sell, and now I do. So you're the first person I'm talking to, actually. We are going to – well, we first of all, we appreciate this so much, your time. Uh, it's amazing to have you on. Uh, we've had some incredible guests. But I, I can't tell you how many people I, I told how excited I was to have you on in particular because you're a legend in my mind. Uh, for people that don't know, and that's amazing to me if you don't, but Pete makes up half of the legendary directing team, the Fairley Brothers. Uh, Oscar-winning director, screenwriter, producer, writer, a New Englander from Rhode Island right here uh, in our neighborhood, a big Martha's Vineyard guy where I just left, um, and a passionate Boston sports fan. Went, which we will dig into very soon. Um, but just just to let people know, Pete, a little bit about you real quick, and feel free to interrupt me at any time. Yeah. Most people do, including Kyle. Um, you are the director of some of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, I, I've I've ranked them, Pete, in tiers. So you can you can you know neg my tiers if you will, but my tiers go like this. Okay, tier one is there's something about Mary and Dumb and Dumber. Tier two, Shallow Hal and Heartbreak Kid. Tier three would be Fever Pitch and Hall Pass. And tier four would be Kingpin, Three Stooges, and Stuck on You. And that's not even talking about Green Book, which won an Oscar. Well, that's, Those are- that's very nice of you. The, be- the greatest uh, review we ever got and, and before Green Book, when we started, I got some good ones, was we in, um, in uh, when uh, Kingpin came out, uh, Penthouse gave us a, our Hustler magazine gave us a full erection. Uh, that was. <laughs> That was their best review. And my brother called me, he goes, Pete, did you see that we got a full erection from, I was like, no, we, that's the best review we ever yeah. had. Yeah. Uh, no, it, uh, uh, before we go into this. Sure, uh, sure. Talk about, okay, I, I don't want to go from erection right to, to your mother, but I, I have to, <laughs> I have to say like, Kyle, you haven't uh, met, you've never met Sam's mom, right? That is correct. He has not let okay. me. So she is, without question, one of the top three most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. She's off the charts gorgeous. Like I, I, I remember like when I first met her, I was just like, with, I'm standing there with my wife. I'm like, I can't believe how beautiful you are. <laughs> like you are just stunning. Uh, and, no, and she's just an incredible woman. Your dad, Merle's great guy too. I love him. And and he's not a bad looking guy either. By the way, you got a good looking family. Yeah, I don't know what happened to me. Something went wrong, you, Sam. horribly wrong. But look, I appreciate you talking about my mom in such a, a glowing way, and, and she listens to all these shows. She's going to be very embarrassed by what well, you she, just said. 
she's a superstar. And your dad is, too. I love hanging out with them. They're a lot of fun. I, I was going to actually pick your brain about your mother because, like, I, she alluded to, like, a young, like, wildness where she was, like, in, like, some kind of a, like, commune type thing. Does that ring a bell? Or maybe she never... Yeah. No, it rings a bell, uh, but there was in that com- commune, is that the word you used? Commune? A co- commune. Commune like, type thing. She she smoked a lot of the weed, the, the, the yeah. devil's lettuce, the, you know, the doobage, the marijuana. Yeah. She was So I don't know how those two go together. But I don't know she, how her and Merle hooked up. Your dad. Yeah. Your, your, uh, well, it's a, it's a funny story. Can I tell you really quickly how they hooked up? They, you never heard that story? No. They met in an airport. So my dad was on an airplane. Right. What's that? Your dad's a surgeon, right? He's a uh, he's a vagina doctor, Pete. Yes. Okay. Keep yeah. going. So right. uh, segue down. And, this is just getting uh, better and better. I don't know any yeah, of this stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Forget talking about. I don't want to talk about a career. Let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. uh, so my mom was walking through the airport, Heathrow Airport in London, and my dad was on the airplane, and he, he kind of like peeked through the window, and somehow it was really close to the terminal. He saw this beautiful woman that you speak about so so yeah. eloquently. Um, and he said, I got to get off the plane. I got off the plane. He gets off the plane and he walks through the, the airport. And as he's walking, he sees her. And, uh, and, and he, he sees this strange man with a fedora and a briefcase. And he taps her on the shoulder. And he, this is his pickup line. He taps her on the shoulder and he says, excuse me, do you think that's the guy with a microchip? Again, this was back in the 70s or the <laughs> 60s, whatever. You know, so that was like a cool thing to say. Yeah. She thought it was the cutest thing in the world. She was laughing and she thought he was a handsome man. If he didn't come up with that corny, cheesy line, I wouldn't be sitting here looking so handsome and right in front of you. Yeah. Well, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah, it started started there in, yeah. in London. And then so but the funny part is, Pete, she was married at the time. Hey, did not know. I, exactly. So they Uh-oh. had I can't believe we're saying all this on, yeah. on the show. But yeah. they spent a week, they spent a week together. I won't tell anything else about what they did yeah. in that week. They went to Wimbledon on their first date, and the, the rest is history. Yeah. Well, they've been now together for what? How long? Forty something years. In October, it'll be five zero fifty. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. know, right? I, 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 Mazel tov, right? This is a podcast, right? We're not being seen, are we? No, this is not audio. It's all video, so you can make any gesture no, you want. All audio, no video. Yeah. What did I say? Uh, that's too bad because I wish we could show a picture of your mom to the audience too because they don't know. They're like thinking they've been married 50 years. How good looking she, can she be? We'll tweet that, one out. That good looking. She's off the charts uh, uh, like a raving beauty. But anyway. We'll put it can on we, the socials, we? Pete. We'll put it all up, plastered all over the socials. Yeah. Is, there a chance, is there a chance we could get off my mom? <laughs> just, for, just for yeah. a second? All right. Yeah. We can get back. We can get back to Yes. All right. She's a All right. wonderful woman so, and, and, and also a good friend of my wife's, too. So that's yes. That's, L- we've L- talked Melinda. enough about her. Melinda, yeah. She's a yeah. lovely lady as well. Melinda's yeah. fantastic. So, look, so do you agree with those tears? Do you have anything to say about that? Do you disagree? I mean, uh, you won an Oscar, so I mean, uh, you, you... I, I would, I would, uh, well, yeah, I would, you know, first of all, Yes, it, it was. I appreciate like always Dumb and Dumber and something about Mary go right to the top. I think it, Dumb and Dumber is our first movie and I probably going to always be our best movie, no matter what I, we ever do again. It's just, it yeah. just it's just a I love it. Every, the whole experience, everything about it. And and um, so that that's up there. But I, there's a couple of sleeper movies in there that are 
I like this is a nice sound behind me. I'm I'm in Vancouver, by the way, right next to a fire department, my hotel. I hear this all night long. But anyway, perfect. Um, the uh, the ones that I think are underrated are um, Kingpin. Kingpin, right? Well, Kingpin isn't underrated. It didn't do well when it opened, but I, I get a lot of people come up to me about Kingpin. Uh, but uh, like I, I thought the Three Stooges, that was our highest degree of difficulty. That was a hard movie to do because we wrote all new material. We didn't take the old Stooge material, but we did it on three characters who already existed. They had to look like them, sound like them, do what they would do. But all new stuff. We didn't we could have gone back to, you know, the, what they did, but we didn't want it. We wanted to create new stuff. And I'm extremely proud of that. And I'm so proud of those three actors because. I was it was always my fear that two of the three would be amazing and one would be okay. And they were all amazing. They were unbelievably good. Uh, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, uh, it, it, you couldn't have uh, gotten a better threesome. Like when I run into people, they always say, who I say, who's your favorite? Mo and you know, Larry, Curly, you know, that goes back and forth. It's not just one guy didn't run away with it. That team of guys, were uh, incredible. Uh, Demontopoulos, Hayes, and uh, and Will Sasso, uh, though, just uh, amazing actors. So that that one, I know how hard it was to do that. I'm really proud of that one. But whatever, for whatever reason, it doesn't get the the, the love it deserves. And also, I thought that um, uh, Hall Pass, uh, it, it just is funny. That's Kyle's favorite. My number one, not to interject, my number one favorite movie of all time. So I'm so happy you said that. Oh, I'm like, I'll fanboy about that. My number one standalone favorite movie of all time. Every single line in it is laugh out loud funny. When I, you know, when you make a movie, you don't see it again for a long time. You see it a lot. Like when you're making it, you know, cutting it together, you watch it a hundred times. And then by the time it comes out, you're just done with it and you don't see it. And, uh, that one about two months ago, I was sitting there with my daughter Apple, and we were uh, flipping around, and it was, and there it is, and it's just starting. And I just sat there. I said, "Hey, let's watch a couple minutes," and we ended up watching the whole thing. I, I forgot how funny it was. It's so good. I, it, it's it, so it was funny. Me. Like things that I completely forgot about, like little things. I like the line where they're hanging out trying to pick up chicks in the Applebee's, and someone says, "This is stupid." Well, you know. Uh, or, or uh, you know, uh, J.B. Smooth says, this is it's idiotic, picking up girls in Applebee's. We're not going to get them here in someone says, should we go to Olive Garden? He goes, no, not Olive Garden. He goes, Applebee's, Olive Gardens. Follow me. I know where to go. And they're walking out, and they go, where are we going? He goes, Chili's. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of just, it, just killed me. The it is. It's full of one-liner, little stuff. Every time you watch it, you pick up more stuff. That is my all-time favorite. So that's my quick fanboy moment right there. How good is J.B. Smooth? He's, he's so good. He's a, he's fantastic, and and Sudeikis was great, and of course Owen, Owen's like, <laughs> Owen's just unbelievable. First of all, I love Owen. Owen's, I love everybody I ever worked with. I never had a problem with anybody, but Owen's special because he's he's a uh, he's he's just got that. He's exactly what you see him to be. He's just it's like hey man. <laughs> in the history of our relationship did you I wouldn't show up at your birthday Pete you know um, he's uh, uh he's just lovable and in that I, I just find him great I'm always seeing people and and they what are you doing I said just chilling and wiggling and they're looking at me what but he, that yeah. thing, he's in the bar and he's hanging out and the girl kind of, what are you doing just chilling and wiggling you know? <laughs> so listen uh I, I have a little ball to pick with you about fever pitch Mm. Uh, so 
I mean, many people, you know, it's a good movie for people that aren't a diehard Red Sox fan. For those of us that are diehard Red Sox fans, yeah. it's an all-timer. It's a great movie. The bone that I have to pick with you is that you cast uh, a Mets slash Yankees fan, Jimmy Fallon, as a lead role in that movie and not me. What's the deal there? Because my mom is so beautiful, I should yeah. have been at least considered for that role. Uh, I, I, you know, that's a, that. There's so many movies I wish I had you in, and I couldn't because you got to get, you know, you got to get someone that the studio is going to make it with. That's the thing. Like I look yeah. at Dumber, you would have been perfect for Harry. You Thank can't. you. That's that's amazing. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> that's really kind. Uh, he was. Uh, Jimmy was great in that movie, by the way. He, he was. He, he was. Did a fantastic job. Um, uh, and Drew was great. You know, yeah, it was a lot of fun. They've, they've well, all been fun. But how did that movie, right? So that movie was about the curse of the Bambino, which you and I are all are very familiar with. Yeah. But at the end, you filmed it in 2003, 2004, when they, when they finally won after almost 100 years. And so you had to change the ending. How did that affect everything? Like, how did that affect, did that ruin it for you? The fact no. that they no. won the whole the thing after all of it? No? It made it more exciting because the other way was going to be, well, I guess predictable. But, you know, that's the only movie that we made that we didn't write, by the way. That was written by Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel. And it's based on a Nick Hornby novel that was based on a soccer team. And uh, and and Babalu Mandel, you know, Lowell and Babalu were like two of the best comedy writers of all time. They did like City Slickers, Splash, you know, uh, Night Night Shift. They're incredible. And uh, they somebody sent us a script, and they said, "You're Red Sox fans. What do you think?" I said, "I love this." And they we just went off and shot it. Um, and uh, uh, it, it was a uh, how did we start this conversation? One of my starting. We're talking about how Jimmy Fallon was a diehard Yankees fan, and he played yeah. a role of a diehard Red Sox. Yeah, uh, uh, my my mom was beautiful. No, that was before no. that. Oh, uh, I well, lost. But, Okay, well, in any case, uh, yeah, yeah. what's the question? <laughs> no, forget the question. Anyway, look, that, no, I, I want to get into this. There was uh, a yeah. uh, that, oh, that how, was. How did the ending? The ending. How did it affect thank things? You. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. You're as bad as me. I had COVID. Uh, no, so so what happened was the original ending was they lose as they always do, and yet love, you know rules and and it's okay you can win yeah. you can lose it doesn't matter you have each other type of thing and as we were shooting it all of a sudden the red sox started getting on this roll. now they get on a roll a lot in september they've always been that's the great thing about the red sox is that even all those years they were not winning world series they were they were competitive yeah. like we had so many close calls and that's fun like we weren't you know like you know the white Sox. you know where you're just never in it you know we were always in it and that was so great, like, and that's what made winning at finally so, so much better. But in any case, when they did start winning, uh, Lowell and Babalu just started writing away because they're like, hey, they may win this thing, so we have to switch it. We were hoping they'd win it because I'm a Red Sox fan. I wasn't going to hope they didn't win so that we get our ending. I want them to win, and they did, and we were there for the whole thing. We went to all the games. We were shooting on the field. We were, you know, it was just nuts. Um, so it was, it, it couldn't have worked out better. Uh, that that it went that way, but yes, it took a lot of. We were writing day to day, or Lowell and Babalu were. The last few days, we were filming. You know, they just kept changing things. We had we had to. Yeah. So amazing stuff. Um, I just to backtrack for a second. 
I do want to talk to you more about Red, the Red Sox at the end of this, but yeah. um, shallow how? I mean, that's to me, that's one of your best. Hey. Where do you come up with these these subjects and these these plots and these? I, I read an article about you about uh, Dumb and Dumber. How that was your first movie, and you guys walked out of there going, "I don't really know what I'm doing." And and I, I your, your best friend or one of your friends said he didn't think it was very good. You know, something about Mary, and then you know. Uh, all these, all these incredible Heartbreak Kid, the sequel. I mean, that was one of the the, the funniest movies I've ever seen. And then the Charles Grodin 1972 one, the original, was one of the classics of all time. How yeah. do you make those movies into what your vision is? And how do you, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you and Bob make them the Fairly Brother production and, and make everybody say? Because these are movies, Pete, that people will watch 30, 40 times and have no problem doing so. Well, first of all, I should tell you that the idea for Shallow Howe came from a guy named Sean Moynihan, who lives in Boston, and he's one of the all-time funny guys. He's hysterical. And he was, uh, uh, I, I used to live, when I first moved to L.A., I lived with a guy named Jimmy Shea, who's also, for, he's from Framingham, great guy. We lived together for four years. He's like, like I, it was almost like college after college. And um, and Sean was a buddy of his who used to just send funny you know th things in the mail. Like one time he sends a you know uh, uh, he has a piece of tape with like I don't know five hundred toenails on it that he's been saving. That's it in, in the That's office. Disgusting. I was like, who the hell is this guy? Because <laughs> my friend Sean, I gotta meet him. You know, <laughs> no letter, no nothing. And um, but anyway, he came up with that idea and he sent me a, a script, an early script. And I said, it's hysterical. There's, there's so many funny things in here and such a great concept. So we got together and we wrote it with them. Uh, as for that story, the thing, you know, I don't know what I was doing. Well, I, I, you know, the Dumb and Dumber thing, what happened was this, is that what I didn't know what I was doing is Bobby and I, we shot the movie, okay? And then you do what's called an assembly. You cut it together, you know, everything together. It's a rough cut, very yeah. rough cut. Yeah. And normally, you, as you would find out later on, I didn't know at the time. Normally you would chop that down to something that's watchable. But I thought, hey, we'll show this to our friends. So we invited like 75 friends over. The movie, it was Dumb and Dumber, but it was three hours and 40 minutes long. And wow. yes. And we just thought, oh, this would be good. Our friends could participate. They could say, keep this, cut that, do this, do that. Three hour, 40 minute, there's no comedy worth watching. It's 340. So we showed it to our friends, and we're just sitting there enjoying it all and everything. We come walking out. The first guy out the door, Timmy Sheehan, who's a bartender at Hyannis Port Country Club, by the way, and a, and a basketball coach on the Cape. I uh, met him before. I met him, yeah. Awesome guy. He comes walking yeah. out, and yeah. my brother says, what did you think? He goes, the worst. He goes, That's, what? Yeah. He goes, it's the fucking worst movie I've ever seen in my life. And Bobby goes, fuck you. You know, no, fuck you. How the fuck do you make us watch that for three hours and 40 minutes? What's wrong with you? He's, he's, our friends are yelling at us yeah. because of what we showed them. And so we, we end up chopping it down. The next time we showed it to people, it was an hour and 59. We got it under two hours. Cut it. We cut a whole movie out, a whole yeah, hour right. and 50 minutes out. And right. the movie ended up being an hour 48. But yeah, we learned something there. You get, I don't yeah. care what the movie is if it's... You know, you, you could have too much and really put people to sleep. I forgot to tell you before we came on, but you can't swear on the yeah. podcast. Yeah, I'm it's a little late for that, but that's all right. I, no, I'm that's... just kidding. I'm kidding. Feel free. Curse away. Um, a couple other questions. So something about Mary, when when that scene where Ben Stiller is, and I want to talk about Ben in a second, but 
where he's in the bathroom and he's got the, the nudity mags or the soft corn mags out. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, for lack of a better word, he right. masturbates. Yeah. Yeah, he, he masturbates. Please, pleases himself. Yeah, exactly. Well, it used to be porno for us back then. Yeah, porno, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and it lands in his ear and he doesn't know. And everybody's yeah. seen that scene and, and she puts it in his hair product. Is that something that came from your past experience as a child? Or like, how do you come up with these particular random scenes of polarity, for lack of a better okay. word? No, it never happened. Thank God. Um, yeah. And what, ha what happened was... I'll tell you exactly how that evolved. My brother picks me up. We're driving down the Cape. And we were in Boston. And we're driving down the Cape. And I had been batting this idea around in my head. We were writing something about Mary at the time. And uh, and I was living in Duxbury back then. I, I guess he picked me up in Duxbury. We're going down the Cape. And I said, hey, I have an idea for a joke, but it might be too much. What, what do you think of this? And I said, you know, a guy... Uh, you know, he masturbates, but, you know, in the throes of it, he closes his eyes. And then when he opens them up, he can't find the, You know, he can't find the, the load. And is that doable or is that too much? He goes, no, it's totally doable. He said, it's definitely doable. I said, really? You don't think it's too much? He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, but where is it? I don't know. It's, you know, it's the thing. He goes, well, think about it. Like, maybe it's somewhere it's going to come back. And I said, okay. Yeah. All right. And then we were like, well, what if it ended up, you know, I think my brother said, what if it like ended up on his, on his, in his hair or on his ear, you know, it's like, yeah, body temp, maybe you wouldn't feel it, you know, the whole thing. And then, and we're just giggling that, you know, that at that point, and then like literally five minutes later, we're like, hey, wait a second. What if then he goes somewhere or he has a date with Mary, Mary shows up, blah, blah, blah. And she shows up and, and he answers the door and he's got it hanging there. And then she, you know, Bubba, then we're, we're howling. We're thinking this is hysterical, but we're also thinking not really doable. I mean, it's, it's what, how can you do that in an R rated movie? And then we kept thinking about it on this drive and it was like, well, wait a second. Well, what would she, what would he tell her it is? And we were thinking this, that there's a hair gel, hair gel. Great. So we're like, perfect. He thinks it's hair gel. And then, then another time is, well, wait, if she thought it was hair gel, maybe she'd grab it and bing, bong, boom. And then we're off to the races. And, um, and so we had this thing and we, we put it in, but we figured 50, 50, it won't make the cut because it's probably too much people. We could lose the audience. First of all, the, the, right. the, 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 uh, Women might be just, you know, grossed out and the guys too, when it goes in her hair, everything, it could fall apart and it hurt the movie, but we should shoot it. And the studio 20th Century Fox said, you can make the movie, but you got to cut that scene. We're like, well, yeah, but let's just shoot it and just see if it's any good. And they're like, not going to cut it. And they're like, mm, we don't want to cut it. That's the funniest thing in the movie if it works. And they're like, well, we're not making a movie. That's pornography. And I said, no, it's not. It's that's art. Cause you know, if it's for, if it's for, uh, uh, for comedy, it's R. If it's for titillation, it's NC-17. This is certainly a joke. It's not going to get anybody aroused. And uh, I think we could push it through. So six months, they're like, we're not making it with that. I said, I don't understand why you won't just let us shoot it. And then you could cut it. And finally, yeah. they did. And we went off and did it. In the first test screening, people were coming. You know, they were falling in the aisles. Like, you know, the, the, the it was... I never saw people laugh so hard when we did our test. It was so unexpected. Nobody in the world would have seen that coming. What about, you said coming, what about the six, seven, seven minute ab scene? What was that? How did you come up with that? That was Bobby. Bobby. And, you know, I don't usually remember who came up with what. It's a weird thing when you write. Yeah, but, but how? How did you, like, that's ingenious. 
But yeah, well, yeah, there used to be a thing called eight minute abs. And Bobby was saying, you know, you know, I got an idea for, you know, those were on all t you know, TV, these ads for eight minute abs. You know, they were going to you could send, we'll send you a tape and you get it eight minutes. Bobby said, I know how to get them out of business. We'll get seven minute abs. And it was just a joke he talked about. And, you know, we had that sitting there for a while. So we threw it in. We keep notebooks for like ideas, like, you know, this thing over here, like I'm just picking it up right here. But even though nobody can see me, like, yeah. you know, we just have constant like notebooks full of when we hear a joke, a name, something funny, just a little thing, we'll throw them in there. And then later when we're writing a script, we'll rifle through the notebooks to see if anything fits this story. And that was one of those. Great. Uh, listen, I, I want to talk about your new stuff because I know you want to promote it. But no, that's last okay. yeah, last question on, on all this is you have two guys in all these comedies. You know, some of them are romantic comedies, if you will, uh, are, one of which is Ben Stiller and the other is Bill Murray. These two guys seem like the perfect Fairley Brothers character actors. Everything that Ben's in, everything that Bill's in seems to fit so well, mold well with what you guys do. Why is that? And what makes Ben and Bill sort of the perfect guys for any of your films? Well, first of all, they'd be perfect in any film. You know, those guys aren't, it's not like, you know, they're never good in the other stuff, just your stuff, you know. There was a museum movie, uh, Pete, that Ben yeah. wasn't very good in. That was a kind of, a, you know, shitty movie. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I like Yeah, that. you didn't direct it, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, uh, but he's uh, he's always good and Bill's always good. And 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 it's, it's they're just, we're lucky to get them. You know, we got very lucky getting... Jim Carrey in our first movie because Dumb and Dumber took five years to make. We wrote it and we couldn't get it made. We got turned on by every studio and every actor. And finally, uh, they this guy calls me up one day. He goes, "Hey, this act, this actor named Jim Carrey wants to do it." I said, "Who's that?" They said, "He's the white guy and in Living Color." I'm like, "Great, let's do it." You know, I would do it with anybody at this point. And as we got involved with him, Ace Ventura hadn't come out yet. And it, it came out and it blew up. And then, and then, while, and then, well, you know, the next one was the mask and we, and, and all of a sudden he's a huge star. Like that started as a hundred thousand dollar movie. We, we, we raised a hundred grand to make that movie. And then ultimately it turned into a $16 million budget. And Jim got seven of it, by the way, which is the most any actor had ever gotten in history at the time for a comedy. Uh, and, uh, but you know, we got lucky cause you get a guy like Jim Carrey, who's, there's just nobody on the planet who's going to be better than him and 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 Bill Murray and and you know uh, all all these guys they're they're uh, Ben Stiller you know we've it's we've been really lucky with those guys that but we certainly don't make them funny they make us funny. So Green Book, Green Book was a completely a change from your normal uh, type of film that you you like to make. Uh, you won the Oscar for Best Picture and Screenplay. Obviously, your second Oscar, Dumb and Dumber, was your first, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, what was that? What was that like? What, what was that feeling to win an Oscar? I mean, do you carry it around with you daily? Do you go to restaurants with it? Do you go to the beach? Do you go out to, you know, with friends? Like, do you carry it with? I mean, it's got to be an amazing feeling to win that. Um, you know, it's funny. It's 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 a. I'll be honest. I haven't seen it since. Well. I haven't seen it in a couple of years. I it's in a closet. It's in the boxes in my closet. In the in Kyle the Kyle saw the movie last night, by the way. 
Who did? Oh, Kyle. Kyle. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I did my is. homework. Yeah. I've been meaning to watch it. I watch a movie every Sunday night. It's been on my list for a while. I said, what better yeah. time? Do a little homework. So awesome, yeah. awesome stuff. Great Thank acting. You. Fantastic acting out of those two. Yeah. You know, the night we won the Oscars, uh, I Spielberg was one of our executive producers. And by the way, he, it's not just an executive producer. An executive producer a lot of times does nothing. This guy saved that movie because that was a little movie and nobody was going to ever watch it. And we, we were not getting a lot of love from the studio. They had bigger movies that they were promoting. And my agent, Richard Lovett, uh, reps uh, Stephen. And so he said, he sent it to Steven Spielberg, said, you got to watch this. You got to watch it at home. And Spielberg called me and said, this is my favorite buddy comedy since Butch Cassidy and his Sundance Kid. He goes, this is kid, they, they got to find out about this. And he started flexing his muscles, make sure we got out there. The movie got into theaters, got this, got it. We had nothing without him. But anyway, that night when we won, I remember Stephen said to me, yeah, he goes, so is this a lifelong dream since you were a little kid to get the Oscar? I said, well, no, I never really thought of it that. When I was a little kid, I wanted to play for the Red Sox. That's all I wanted to do. Who did? Yeah. And, and then he goes, but like when you're a teenager, I said, no, I didn't, I didn't really start doing this until – you know, my mid twenties, I started writing, you know, I was an accounting major in college. He goes, so when you started writing, is this what you saw? I said, no, no, because I was doing comedies and I just wanted to be able to do what the Zucker brothers do or, you know, like those kind of things, Mel Brooks, and they don't get Oscars. He goes, so when did you start thinking about getting, you know, an Oscar? I said, like two weeks ago when, when we were nominated and that that's like the first time it occurred to me. And, and, it's not, look at, I'm very, very, very grateful to have the Oscars, but that's not what defines my, me or my life. And I don't want it to. And I also don't want it to define my kids' lives. So I didn't want to come home, put the thing up on the mantle, have my poor kids come in the house every day, like have to look at that shit. You know, yeah. I remember my father was a doctor and I felt like a little, you know, piece of shit growing up, like, you know, getting C's and D's when the doctor is my dad. And I didn't want my kids to, so we, I took it home and I threw it in the box and that was it. And then about a year after I did that, one day my wife, my wife always wants, she put them out. Come on, you should do it. Take pride. I said, I don't want to, I don't want them out. I don't want that to be who I am. And, um, but then she said, well, you're not sharing it. So I thought that's true. So I took them out and I mailed them around to my buddies. Uh, back in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and I, I, I sent it to him. I say, keep it for a few days, you know, hang out, take it to work, whatever you want, and then, then send it to this guy. And they passed it around for about five months. And in fact, in, when when COVID started, it was with Timmy Sheehan, the guy who hated Dumb and Dumber. He had it on the cape, and I think he had it for like six months where I was like, Timmy, do not lose those fuckers, you know. And they sent, they sent them back, and then I put them back in the box, and I don't look at them. Well, one of the one of the things that people love about you, Pete, is that you you know you're so humble and you you put all these people from your hometown in your movies. You know the the people from Providence and New England, and you care so much about people with with disabilities and you cast them as well. What's you know what's behind that? Why why is that? Just because you're a humble motherfucker and you just you just want to you know. I put my friends in there because my friends mean so much to me. They developed us, my brother and I. Like, they were the kid guys who we were joking around with. Like, we, by the way, we weren't, the, my brother and I weren't the two funny guys. We were, like, laughing at all the other guys. And yeah. we started not seeing what was funny and what wasn't. We developed a good sense of humor because of my friends. They're lunatics. 
And, and I'm grateful for that. It's like Scott Rosenberg, who's from Newton, like he and his buddies, they get together like, I don't know, every every summer for like a week. And and he's, it's the same thing. Like I have a love for those guys because I know what they brought me. They gave me confidence, friendship, and, and also like a, a sense of humor. As for the using people with disabilities, well, again, like we we like to say, like we were blessed enough to have people with disabilities in our lives growing up. Like some people just know know people with disabilities. My buddy Danny Murphy, when we were, when I was a senior in high school, he broke his neck diving on the vineyard. We were on the Cape. We lived on the Cape in the summers in Falmouth. We went over one day, and he dove in the water, broke his neck, and he was a quadriplegic from that point forward and that's the guy who's in you know he's in kingpin with the he's in, a, in something about mary you know you lazy bastard you know yeah yeah, yeah. carrying the thing and but we also had a couple kids with uh, intellectual disabilities in the neighborhood and we'd be playing ice hockey with them they were like older brothers of of our friends and they'd come and so it was natural that there would be people with disabilities around and when we put them in it was just because well in in fact, that's the way the world is. 20% of the world has a disability of some kind. And if you see a movie that there's no people with disabilities, it's fake. And that's that's the main reason. I love that, that you guys do that. I mean, it's so important uh, to recognize. Um, but we talked off air about some of the athletes that you put in, put in your films. Uh, Tom Brady, my boy, my guy, Cam Neely, Seabass, perhaps the greatest character in cinematic history. You know, I'll kick your ass, Seabass, uh, yeah. Roger Clemens, Sergio Garcia, and not Brett Favre, but Brett Favre. I mean, what's what's the deal with these athletes? Hey, uh, well, we're we're you know we're we're fanboys. We want to meet. Yeah. Why, oh, why wouldn't we? You know. Yeah, uh, of course. But the um, the, by the way, that line, "kick his ass, Seabass," that was said by my friend Sean Gilday, who is in in Boston. He's a uh, he's in real estate. He, he owns the Dartmouth Company. And he's a guy I knew since we were 12 years old. We were caddying together on, on Cape Cod. And he did that line. But he also just did a, a role in my new movie, The Greatest Beer Run Ever. He did a big role because, you know, he's he's had a couple of one-liners here or there. But I had this role in here, in this one, where I, I, I thought, I'm going to let him give him something to chew on, like something to really bite into. And he came out. We shot it in Thailand and nailed it. He nailed it. You're not going to believe how good he is. He's, he's yeah, yeah. which just shows you that acting's not that hard. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You could be a real estate guy, just come out and with the right movement yeah. and direction and getting comfortable. Anyway, he nailed it. But so the reason we started with Cam is because, okay, there's an old, there's an old saying, uh, and I, I can never remember who, who said this. It was, uh, oh, it was, uh, I don't know what this guy did other than saying this line, but Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E. He's yeah. a philosopher. So I don't know what he is. He might be a, he might be a, a, an artist. I'm not sure. But Goethe once said something to the effect of like, you know, if you follow uh, your your what's in your heart, if you follow it, like what you feeling you should do and then divine providence opens up and will lead you to places that you can possibly have foreseen. And that's why, and I, and that's how I feel because like I said, I was in my mid twenties as I was an accounting major and as a salesman in Boston. And then I started thinking, I'm not good as a salesman. I have never really gone for it. And I started thinking about writing and I, and after a year or two of this gnawing at me, cause it was really burning up, like do it. And I was like, well, I've never written anything. I'm talking to myself here, you know? 
I don't even read books. How can I do it? And I was like, yeah, you can tell a story. Just do it, do it, do it. And I finally yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. did it. Quit my job, went off, did it. And the way things that happen, like you meet this, I'm waiting on tables because that's all I do. And I meet a guy who's like, he teaches writing at UMass Amherst. And he says, you should go there. I said, well, I already went to college. And he goes, well, no, this is grad school, creative writing. I said, I can never get in. I got bad grades. He goes, no, they only judge on your writing. So I end up going to UMass Amherst. I transfer to Columbia. I meet a girl who's like lives next to Eddie Murphy. She gives him my script. We sell the script. I go to LA. My first roommate's Woody Harrelson before he's on Cheers. Unbelievable. The, the stuff that unfolds is truly magical. And and it is and I it is something there's something that 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 happens up there. And 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 that's how I met Cam Neely because then I'm living with Woody, and Woody is doing, he gets on Cheers, and now I'm hanging around Paramount. He's, they're shooting Cheers at Paramount, and I'm working with Eddie Murphy at Paramount, by the way. And we're, we're like, I'm going over seeing all the shows, and, uh, and right next door, they're doing family ties with Michael J. Fox. So Woody and Michael J. Fox start hanging out. They become buddies. Well, Michael J. Fox was friends with Cam from when they were kids. They played hockey together in, in Vancouver. And so Cam's hanging around the house. And I got to know Cam. And, and when he's out there, he'd come by or off season. And then when we made Dumb and Dumber, I was like, hey, Cam, you want to be in it? You know, well, let's do it. He's the only guy, probably got a guy we ever put in a movie who we already knew. Yeah. But he did such a great job. He was very good. We thought we could always put a, an, you know, an athlete in and we started and, doing it. And he's a Boston Bruins president right now. And so he's related to you in a sort of a, you know, a, a corresponding way. But the, the things I love about your movies are that, you know, there are scenes that people talk about the day after they watch the movie, like that scene where, where Seabass, Cam Neely goes into the stall and, you know, he's got the writing on the wall that says, be here at, you know, one fifteen in yeah. the morning or whatever. People would never have thought of that before they saw that movie. And when, after they see it, every time they go into a stall, they see writing on the wall. You know, when they're going to the, you know, taking a shit, they, they look at that and they go, oh my God, like I hope, you know, we're not there at that time. And then in Dumb and Dumber, when uh, Jeff Daniels and uh, what's the redhead's name, the actress? The oh, woman, Lauren Holly. Lauren Holly are having that snowball fight. You, yeah. You know, you, you I think you, uh, your assistant told me off air that you guys were doing that snowball fight and they were kind of like punching each other with snowballs and, and kicking the shit out of each other. And, and you didn't, you didn't know if that was going to be in the movie or not. You didn't think it was going to be funny. And then you kind of edited it and then watched more of it. It was one of the funniest scenes of the whole show. In the whole yeah. movie. A lot of times, by the way, that happens where you put something together and it's like, so, so, and then you either have a choice of cutting it or recutting it. You could cut the whole thing, or you could say, let's try to find a way to make this work. Cause it seemed funny to us on paper. But um, we couldn't get the right sound effect. Like he kept throwing the, the snowball. When it hits her in the face, it was like, Psh, you know, and it was like, eh, kind of funny. This, and finally, this, we have a sound guy. You know, a guy comes in with the sound, and he says, an effect sound guy. I don't know what, is, what they actually call him, but the guy who does the sound <laughs> and, um, and he comes in, and he goes, uh, and he goes, I got a good one. And he did it, and it's a mixture of, two sounds, a snowball and this other thing. And we're like howling, laughing. And we're like, what is that? He says, it's the sound of uh, Henry Aaron's 715th home run when he broke what? the home run record. 
I don't know why he got that one, but it's a baseball hitting a bat. Henry Aaron, seven. Anyway, we tested it, you know, test screening, and it brought the house down. They howled. But originally, when she after she got hit, she came up. She had blood. Are you losing me again? No, we got you. Okay, you guys look. Okay, she has blood coming down her nose, and then boom, no more laughter. The audience just died, and and it stuck, and they didn't laugh for a while. And so we had to go in. It's the first digital thing we ever did. Cut it out. Get the blood off her nose. And then when when she came up with the blood off her nose, they laughed for another minute. You know, it, it's you learn shit like that. You know, that it's funny until somebody gets hurt. Amazing. Amazing stuff. Um, so, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. So I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the new stuff that you're doing. Um, so you have a new show, a new TV pilot that you're doing right now. It, maybe that's what you're doing in Vancouver. Is it the Bob yeah. Odenkirk stuff? Yeah, it's a new yeah. it's a Bob Odenkirk TV show, you know, from Better Call Saul and, and Breaking, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, yeah. And um, it's uh, and actually uh, uh, this is like one of the only uh, the second thing I never wrote. I didn't write, which is uh, it's a script written by a couple of uh, the office guys. Uh, uh, and and uh, and it, it it's uh, based on a Richard Russo novel. It's called uh, a Straight Man, and it's about a guy who teaches at a kind of a shit college, and 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 everybody there is kind of like mediocre. The students, the teachers, everybody, and he has like a midlife, you know, you know, crisis where he's like, "What am I doing? I'm in shitsville," and starts acting out, and it gets really, really interesting and funny and twists and turns. And it's uh, and I just someone called me and said, hey, I'm do- there's a, bu- a guy named Mark Johnson, a great producer, called me and said, we're doing a new pilot with Bob Odenkirk. You want in? It's absolutely. I mean, I hadn't read the script. I was like, I'll do it. And then I read the script. The script was hysterical. Uh, that's, that's and, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, it, 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 I, I'm really happy to be involved with these guys because they're they're the real deal. Uh, uh, it, it's you know they're just. Fun guys, but really fun. Can't wait to see it. Um, and now you have a film coming out at the end of next month um, with some Joe Schmoes, Russell, Russell Crowe, Bill Murray, Zac Efron. Never, mostly, most people never heard of these guys. Uh, what's what's the new movie? Okay, this one is really fun. This is based on a book uh, by Chicky Donahue. It's called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. And it's about a guy, true story, 1967. He had a bunch of guys, friends in Vietnam. And he uh, and he was uh, he'd already lost a bunch of friends in Vietnam. He'd already been in the army a few years earlier, and uh, and he got very frustrated by all the protests going on in New York. He was living in New York City, and all the protests were pissing him off because his buddies were over there getting killed. So somebody said, "I wish we could, you know, show them how much we care and 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 go over there and give them a beer." And he said, "I can do that." He one drunken night, and they're like, "What do you mean you can do that?" He goes, "I'll get on a freighter." I'll go over there and I'll bring him beer. They're like, how, how are you going to do that? He goes, I'm going to do it. Anyway, long story short, he did it. He got guilted into doing it when he tried to back out. Everybody was like, you said you're going to do it. He's like, all right. So he got on a freighter and went over and basically hitchhiked around Vietnam with a backpack full of uh, PBRs and dropped off beers to his buddies in battle. We have pictures of him in foxholes with soldiers all holding PBRs. He's got like a, you know, like a kind of a Hawaiian shirt on and, and some pants, and uh, and he went around, and what happened was he got stuck 
He got there right there, right before the Tet Offensive, which is one of the biggest battles of the war and the turning point of the war, with the turning point where we started to lose or it became clear we weren't going to win. And um, and he and he learned about the war and that it was not a good war, and came back and and joined the protest. But the message of the movie is it wasn't the soldiers. The soldiers were they were all patriots. They were these guys were the same guys that went to World War II. It was the leadership. We had shitty leadership, but these guys over Vietnam fighting for our country, they were as heroic as anybody ever, you know, and, and he comes back and it's a balance about, and that's what makes me proud about this movie. It's, it's not taking, uh, it, it, without question, it's a bad war, but it's not selling out the soldiers who risked, risked and lost their lives doing what, you know, Uncle Sam told them to do. So is it Russell Crowe that's the main character, or is it Zach? Or Zach's the main character. He plays Chicken Zach Dog. Is. Okay. Also, Crowe, when he gets over there, he got caught in the Tet Offensive, couldn't get out, and he ran into a bunch of uh, war correspondents who were hanging out at a bar. Of course, he goes straight to a bar like any other New Yorker. And mm -hmm. he, he found the bar that they hung out at, the Caravel, and um, – and he and he they he met them and just at first he was like you guys are killing him you know the bad news why do you give the bad news you know everybody's losing faith because of you guys and they're like well what are we supposed to do we're telling the truth yeah, he goes, yeah well maybe you should you know defend the soldiers a few times a little and yeah. any long story short they bump heads at first but then they become friends and they and and Chicky gets a little lesson in what's really happening but also sees it for himself. And it's based off a true story. It's a true story. The greatest beer run ever. I know. So it's hard to believe that it happened, but it did happen. And uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's there's a book called The Greatest Beer Run Ever. And it's 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 a comedy drama. Would you classify uh, it as or? It is. It starts comically, like the stupidity, the 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 sheer lunacy of it all. You know, uh, the hubris. But um, I've been dying to use that word for a while, and <laughs> um, and um, and then and it is funny. He goes over there and he and he he's, he first gets there and he's bouncing around. He meets a couple guys. Says, what the hell are you doing here? You know. Blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And then he gets into the heart of it. He gets up into the northern part of of uh, South Vietnam and sees real war and sees people get killed and 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 then it, it becomes real and the, there's a turn. It's a it's an unusual movie. I'll tell you this, like there have been Vietnam movies, but this is a Vietnam movie told from the civilian point of view. It's not told from the soldier's point of view. It's told from the civilian American seeing it. And the beer is shitty beer. So it's right up Kyle's alley because he loves PBR, Bud Light, you know, Guinness, all, I mean, Guinness Light, all that, Milwaukee's Best, I mean, all that crappy beer. That's I what... only drink PBR or Gansett. I love Gansett. My you know, guy, but they're very simple. Domestic Light. Come on, that's yeah, the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Budweiser. I I don't you know when I was in college, I went down to St. Croix one summer. My I had a buddy down there. I bartended down there. And when you got down there, first thing you find out is that uh, uh, Heineken's were cheaper than Bud. And we're like, Heineken's cheaper than Bud. And we're doing. And two days in, you're paying more for Buds. You yeah. can't you can't keep yeah. drinking those Heineken's. They'll, they'll no. kill. You. Yeah, they will. They seriously will. Um, well, look, I just want to wrap it up with some some Boston sports talk because yeah, sure. you're you're New Englander. Uh, you know, you're from the area. You're obviously, and we were talking before we came on about how the the Red Sox and Patriots are sort of your jam. Uh, Bruins and 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 uh, 
And the Celtics are sort of, you know, three no, and four. No, no, but no, 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 no. If I had to rank, I, I mean, I'm, I follow all four in Providence College basketball. That's my, those are my favorite teams. And if I had to, you know, Providence might be number one. I love watching PC and, and you know, Coach Cooney. You know, they, they have a really, they're a fun thing going on over there. But, uh, and they're going to be unbelievable this year, by the way. They got yeah. one of the, you know, the transfer portal. They're like number one or two in the country. They, everybody loves that coach. Great and, coach. Great, great coach. BC should have never let him go. Yeah, he's fantastic. And um, he was at BC? Yeah, he was an assistant at BC. Oh, I didn't know that. But anyway, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. I love the Red Sox, of course, but, you know, it's, is there anything better than watching NFL football? I mean, no. you know, it's, not. it's just, no, it's, it's just such a joy. Um, but, but let me ask you a question about the Red Sox, because, I mean, if you're born and bred in New England, you kind of, Red Sox is a religion for us, right? So 2004, as you know, with Fever Pitch sort of changed everything for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where were you that night? Where were you that you know, that moment where the curse ended, where you, was, you everybody St. remembers. I was on the field in St. Louis. I, oh, I was yes. there. He, this, was, this was the beginning yeah. of the episode. Come on. We were shooting it and we, we ran on the, you know, we, by the way, we got a lot of shit. People were like, what the hell is Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore doing? They're ruining it. But we, but it was that night, that legit night of the, we were there. We ran right the on the curse ending. Did. We had all the, oh my God. by the way, I had called my wife the day before in LA and I said, hey honey, you gotta get Bob, my son, out here. He's five years old. I said, the Red Sox could win the World Series tomorrow night. And she goes, so she got on a plane, flew him out to St. Louis. Um, I didn't want him to miss it. Uh, We only had one crack at it, by the way, game four. If they didn't win that game, we had to go back to Toronto where we were shooting a lot of the movie. And anyway, uh, so we, we, they win the game and we, and we jump on the field. I put my son on the field, and I there are pictures out there. It's in like one of the one of the books the Red Sox had when they were all like holding the trophy on the mound. I snuck up behind. I held my son up, and he's in the. <laughs> but also, he was he was at some point. He's like you know there was another little kid with him. My friend Bradley Thomas's son Charlie, who was five, and yeah. the kid, they're like, Dad, we got to pee. And I'm like, No, no. If we get off the field, we're not getting back on because now the whole thing's surrounded by. Yeah, security guards. So they just went out to the uh, warning track and took a leak out there. <laughs> uh, it's it's hard to it's hard like to a go scene out of one of your movies. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the, here's another yeah. great thing that night. So afterwards, everybody went back to the Red Sox hotel. Uh, we weren't staying there, but we went there. Everybody knew to go there. All the fans knew where the Red Sox were staying. So there were a couple thousand, at least a couple thousand fans in this huge lobby at whatever hotel they were staying at. And the Red Sox bought like hundreds of pizzas. They were just passing them around. The players were coming through the whole day. It was just like unbelievable. And finally at like three o'clock in the morning, my kid's running around behind me. My wife's gone. She's in bed. And my kid's bouncing around and some guy next to me goes, who's kid? Who has their kid out at three in the morning? <laughs> and I was like, Ooh. I got shamed, so I, I, I left. Shame, shame. And, and this is a great St. Louis story. So we walk home, and we're going across, me and my son, and we got all the Red Sox stuff on. It's 3.30 in the morning. We're going across the road, and this car comes zooming up toward us. We're about to cross the road, and he comes zooming up really fast, and he comes cutting right in front of us. This guy's hanging out the window. I'm holding my son back, and the guy goes, he yells out, congratulations, because they saw our Red Sox stuff. It's like, 
wow, what a city, St. Louis, very friendly. That is that is some story, man. I tell you, that is incredible. Uh, you told me out there you used to spread wood chips on on the owner of the Patriots, Robert Kraft's lawn. Can you please yeah. explain that? Explain well, yourself. Yeah, well, in the summers growing up, we we would always. I worked at New Seabury Country Club. I worked on the the down the Cape, and my brother and I mowed greens, and it was the best. So we had the greatest. It was inc- I, I can't imagine a better time in my life than than in the summers going down the Cape, working there, hanging at the casino, Brothers Four, all the great places. But uh, Bob Kraft back then, or Mister Kraft as he was to us. Uh, he owned uh, he owned the Boston Lobsters, the tennis team. That was his thing, and I, I don't know what else he did. But it, we weren't impressed. He's like, yeah, who who watches like who's going to go to a tennis? You know, I know what else he did: the massage parlor. Well, no, yeah. whatever. Anyway, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, so we would go to the house, and uh, he had like a big pile of uh, wood chips. He dumped onto the yard, and and he hired me and my friend Brian Moan to uh, spread them on his yard. And, you know, this is a job that any, you know, kid, two kids could do in a day, maybe two days. I would say six weeks. Like, you know, we'd go there, we'd work for a half hour, we'd go to the beach. And he was like, yeah. call my parents. Can you get them over here? Yeah. We want the wood chips. It took the whole summer for us to spread one pile of wood chips. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's how I met him. That's amazing. I love that. Um, so you know, the Patriots, now that Brady, Edelman, and Gronk are, are gone, is this the end? I mean – is Mac Jones the answer? Uh, and what do you make of Belichick? I mean, is is he really the asshole that you know he appears to be? In your opinion, is he lost his fastball, or, or does he just lose Brady? I have never met Belichick. Uh, I don't know who he is personally, but anybody who criticizes him is a fucking asshole. That guy has done so much for this region, this this city, this. I I, I mean, when they, I I'm just like, what are you? Come on, give the guy like. <laughs> What he's done, I don't care if he goes another 20 years and we're in last place. He deserves, like, everything. He's already earned everything. He doesn't have to do anything more, you know? Yeah, but but but, but hold on, Pete. I, okay. Sorry to interrupt, but when you hear him at a press conference, yeah. he's an a-hole, right? So when he responds, but hold on. But yeah. when he was winning Super Bowls, that was okay because he was winning every game. And you know at the end of the, the, end of the day they're going to be in the AFC Championship. But now that they're a mediocre team, they're below average. He's still giving attitude to everybody. He's still being a, you know what? Is that okay when you're, you may not even make the playoffs? Well, again, I don't know him personally. Like I've heard, like I've heard he's quite different in person. Like if people do know him. They say, oh, he's, he's nice guy, sweet guy, nothing like that. But whatever, for whatever reason, that sense of authority that he do, that he puts out there for the players and everything, people has worked. You know, and people, the players, you know, they do what, you know, they, they follow the rules. They do the thing. It's like, you know, you could rip Lombardi apart. Right? He yelled too much at those guys. It wasn't nice, you know, but they won. And he, he I think he's, if he softened up, then I think they're never going to win again. I think he has to maintain win or lose who he is as a, as a coach. Now, by the way, when I said it, if he doesn't win for 20 years, it's okay. I think he is going to win. I'm not saying he's not going to win. I just give the guy like tons of slack, and and uh, I, I think I wouldn't be shocked if they if they won this year. I really wouldn't because of him, and because yeah. you know, he you know I, I, I like Mac Jones a lot, but uh, it, I really you know he he knows how to mold a, a, a make a team work. So there's hope. There's always hope when you have him, and that that's the uh, that that's the thing. I I just. 
I, I, I love having them there. You know, you can criticize anybody, of course, but it's hard. I would never criticize him for because the joy he's brought us. It's just been unbelievable. So, okay. So as we're wrapping up here, because we've taken yeah. way too much of your time. Yeah, don't worry about it. No, this has been a blast, and we've enjoyed every second. Thank you so much oh, another for joining hour. us. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? I mean, you tell me. Yeah. We're, we're down. I mean, yeah. um, so now that we're buddies, now that we're friends, and you, you know, you've admitted many, many times that my mom is beautiful, yeah. what is it going to take for me to be in one of your movies to get, just get a one-liner? Because I have some stories, Pete, that I can tell you that you would blow your mind. Because Bonnie and I were talking many, many years ago about my life, I, you know, you and I have never really talked in person before, but I'm a cancer survivor. So when I was 26, I had uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. All that said, I had so many funny things that happened to me during that time. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you all the stories, but there was one time where I got a, a porno tape stuck in a VCR uh, when I turned 18. And my friend Andy, Andy Rafter, he's going to kill me for saying his name, said, now that we're 18, Sam, we're going to go to our first X-rated movie store. This is when VC, v, VHSs were still around. Yeah. So we walked into the VHS store. We picked out, can I, I don't even, I want to spell it out, but we picked out a really dirty one and we put it in the VCR. We got home to our house where we lived in Dover and my parents were at home. We put it in the VHS machine and uh, it got stuck. And I heard Bonnie and Merle driving home into the garage. And uh, the second we heard them coming into the garage, I said, Andy, what are we going to do? I can't have them see a porn in the, in the v, v, VCR machine. Andy, who's like MacGyver, rips the, tries to rip the VCR tape out of the machine. He says, it's not working, Sam. It's not working. I don't know what to do. So he takes the whole VCR out of the wall, literally out of the wall, <laughs> and runs it up to my bedroom on the second floor. He says, Sam, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Just pretend like nothing happened. So I'm sitting there on the couch with my hands in front of my stomach, you know. <laughs> Oh, hey, mom and dad, like hoping and praying to God they didn't see the VCR was missing from, yeah. the, from the top of the TV. The next day, Andy ended up taking the VCR to, to some repairman. And <laughs> we prayed to whatever God was up there that they didn't see what tape was in the machine. And I said to myself, please, I mean, this is like a Pete Fairley movie. This is, a, this is right straight out of one of their scenes. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that, that's, a good that's right up your alley, right? Absolutely. Um, by the way, so you you had cancer. You were like, how you were yeah, I mean, get, we're having so much fun. We don't want to impress the show. No, no, I, no. But I, I want to hear this. So no, because yeah, no. When I he's know trying this, to make a wish his way into one of your movies, Pete. You were twenty six years old. Twenty six. I'm forty eight now. Yeah. And did you go through chemo the whole thing? Yeah, I had five months of chemo. I went through radiation. Um, I lost half my eyebrows, so I only have half here. Uh, yeah, I had the, I had the whole night. Wow, you had the dark night of the soul. I had, had the dark night of the soul, whatever that means. Yeah, I had that. Yeah, I mean, you had to like look at like your, you know, look down that tunnel, like it was gonna, like face face death. Think about it at least. Yeah, it was ugly. It was a, it was an ugly time, but I've, I've become a better person because yeah, of that. I'm, I'm talking to you right now. So no, I, I I listen. I've never had anything like that, and I certainly don't know what that's like. But uh, I'm glad you're here. And you got through it, and I guarantee it brought you some wisdom. Well, Larry David, of all people, used to be friends with Merle. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's, still kinda, he's still kind of he's buddies. What? Yeah. Well, he's still, still kind of buddies, but he got, yeah. divorced from, he got divorced from his wife. And yeah. uh, when I was sick at the time, another thing that could be in one of your movies, I'm trying to, I'm trying to plead my case here. 
when I was when I was diagnosed, Larry sent me the first ten episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm on VHS with a, with a note that said, "I hope this doesn't make you sicker." <laughs> I mean, how classic is that? It's yeah. framed somewhere in my house. Amazing That's stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, of course you're in. Just you know, just All right. when we unfortunately the next thing I do after this is um, I'm doing is shooting in. Uh, Australia. I mean, or unfortunately, or fortunately for you, you could come if you come. You're in. Oh, great! What What are you shooting there? Uh, we're shooting a thing called it's it's a big comedy called um, uh, Ricky Stanicki. And Ricky it's about, Stanicki. Yeah, it's a it's a big comedy. Uh, John Cena uh, and uh, uh, and and Zac Efron. And it's about a. I'm probably not supposed to announce this, by the way. So uh, whatever. But Nobody listens to this anyway. It's about this guy, uh, these kids who create a fictional character as kids. They blame everything on. Where'd you get the beard? Ricky Stanicki. You know, stay away from Stanicki. I told you that. <laughs> and as they get older, they it, 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 it it's their blame guy. It, they blame everything on. And it starts with that and everything gets crazy. And it's a really fun script. Really, really right. fun. We've been working on it for, I want to say, 10 years and finally getting around to doing it. I'll be there. Look, um... Pete, thank you so much for being on. Seriously, we appreciate it from the bottom of our heart. I mean, this was we, a long time in the making. I've tried to get you on, and uh, uh, I know you've been super busy, and we wish you the best of luck with your new movie and with your new TV uh, pilot with, with Bob Odenkirk. Uh, they're both going to be hits. I know it. And congratulations on your Oscar and for being a, a friend of ours. And uh, hope to see you on the vineyard sometime soon. Uh, yeah, well, I'll make it down there. Yeah. You know, this is, uh, yeah, yeah. this is a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, some other time we'll do it. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, in the past, like, it's just, I don't like going around and doing things just in the middle of no, I think people start to hate people when they're around too much. So yeah. I, I, I keep a low profile when I'm like, you know, between movies. But, um, but yeah, let's, let's uh, do something. Maybe when you come to Australia, we'll do another show. I would love that. That would be, that would be incredible. Yeah. Uh, so look, hey, thank you. And um, I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Please, guys, everybody check this out on Sam Berger Show on Twitter, S-A-M-B-E-R-G-E-R-S-H-O-W. Also on Instagram and then on Apple iTunes podcast. Uh, listen to the full interview there and uh, check out all of Pete's stuff, the new movie, the new show. Obviously, everybody's already seen all your movies, and uh, we can't take, we can't wait to talk to you again soon, Pete. Thank you so much. It's gonna be fun. Hey, thanks, Sam, Kyle. That was great, yeah. great to meet you. Both yeah, you. thanks so much, Pete, for coming on. Appreciate you. I, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. You're the man. Thank you, Pete. Have a great night. We'll Thank you for soon. Hall Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for loving it. I love it too. It's the best. <laughs> take care, everybody. We okay. can't wait to talk to you again on the Sandburger Show. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.